Welcome back. The dream is what you'll take it out. Welcome back. Old schoolers, you guys remember that? Welcome back, Otter. Welcome. Episode 40. 40. We're hitting 40. We're middle age already. 40 episodes. Crazy. I wonder who I'm going to... I'm going to have to get somebody big for number 50, don't you think? Who knows? I still got 10 more weeks before I get to that. Welcome. I hope everybody had a good weekend. I hope everybody's life is going well. I uh, hope everyone's staying safe. The world is kind of coming back. And it kind of starts to feel a little bit normal again. So the concerts are coming back. Music is back. Let's keep it that way. So this week's guest, very old dear friend of mine. I think we met in the summer of 2002, Sean Glass. He was guitar player for Soil. And that's when I met him. Uh, They were fans of the band. Uh, And then we ended up meeting these guys. They invited us to play a show in Chicago in August of 2002. They were on OzFest. Um, quite an illustrious career. We'll talk about that. He was also in a couple of bands in and around Chicago over the years, one of them Broken Hope. And then after he left Soil, he started a band called Dirge Within and then Bloodline and then currently has a band called Repentance. Very, very heavy metal. And I mean, Sean knows everybody in this business. Like you can sit there and meet people left and right and they will all know this guy sean glass so i don't know where this conversation is going to go sean is a very outspoken person and one of the funniest guys and probably one of my best friends that i've messed in this crazy business so everybody welcome sean glass hey just joe what's up buddy i'm good and you bro i'm real good man just had to had to do something about joey yeah, had to do the had to do the daddy thing. She's she does camp, but it's only until one o'clock every day. So, oh, cool. How old is she now? She'll be she'll be eight in November, so she's going in third Ooh. grade. I think what she's yeah, she, too. Yeah, I was gonna say they're about the same age, right? Yeah, December seventeenth, he'll be nine. Yeah, he's. I was gonna say he's about a year older. Crazy man. Yeah, it's, he's going in the third too. They're growing up so fast, dude. Oh, uh, see, my kid talk. That's a whole other. That'll be a whole other podcast talking about our kids. <laughs> well, that's what it is. Like, as soon as I call somebody, I immediately just hit record, and then my producer will, like, sometimes it edits it out, because sometimes yeah. you're watching Joe Rogan, and Joe Rogan's like, what the hell are they talking about? They're just yapping about something for the first five minutes or so, but I was... Yeah, he's a, he's, he's, he's a history buff, my kid. Uh, he's uh, Really? He's about as metal as my mom. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, that could yeah, change, man. Wait till he becomes a teenager. No, no, no. I don't want it to. I don't want. I want him to be himself, right? You know? Right, right, right. I mean, as teenagers, yeah, he may have some angst and find, you know, wow, I actually like daddy's music or what daddy wants to do. But for the most part, he's uh, he's more into history and Titanic and World Wars and uh, you know, years of things and that he's a history kid that was that was me man that's why i went to college for history i would i got a bachelor's in history man it's like i don't i don't yeah. use it. i don't use it other than like if you sit down and play trivia with me i'll freaking crush your ass you know like i'll freaking awesome. kick ass uh, i will next time i have a question or he asks me i'm gonna text you or call you <laughs> yeah do that do that he, I'll probably uh, know yeah he, he seriously has fooled me about so much stuff that I don't even remember from school that I relearned <laughs> later in life through my own son. It's pretty rad, right? It is rad, man. That is rad. But I was, I did, I did a little intro 
on the front part of this, and anytime I have someone on, and I'm just like, man, when when did we meet? And I remember the first time that we actually did meet is we played your like you had your homecoming show at the Metro in August of 2002. You guys had just were just finishing up Ozfest, or just you know still had a few dates at Ozfest. And we went and played a show with you guys. Yeah, at the I Met- think I vaguely remember like Tim's like, hey man, I'm gonna put this band on as a favor to a bro. Check them out. I think you guys will like them. And I think Tim had advanced copies of the album, right? Yeah. Well, I think, and I think, I think that's how you guys got on the show. Like Tim wanted you guys on the show. I, yeah, was, I think it was that, or somebody, one of you, maybe Blasco turned one of you guys on to the, it was band. Tim. Yeah. It was Tim. Yeah. So it yeah, was, Tim, I remember, I remember pretty firmly Tim playing me it. I remember somewhere being on tour in a tour bus with the, with soil and hearing, the CD or the demo. And I think your label, was it Matt, right? Yeah. Our little now or never records, man. Yeah. I think it was Matt was on like new Tim, maybe through Blasco. Yep. And he, and he played us the album. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. It's like, like CLC with extra balls. Yeah, like, well, holy cow. It was, it might've been through our man. Cause we had just gotten Dan DeVita as a manager and Dan and Blasco were super close. And yeah, I, I think that might've been, but the, it definitely, it, I, I will give Tim King credit. It was definitely channeled through him of how you guys got into my world, <laughs> our world, and my world, right? Yeah. So, like, I think that's how we all met. That's yeah. how we all met. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was that show at the Metro. You played with Soil, right? Yeah, it was Soil. Uh, I think Ditchwater was on that show. Wow, they're still around. Too. They are? What's what's the, that yeah. singer's name? He tries, I want to say Mark? The Mike? Mike. Mike. Yeah. Mike. We played yeah. after the, after, I mean, I swear to God, every show we played in Chicago, Ditchwater was on. I think they put an album out like pretty recently. I don't really. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm not really not on my radar for the fact, but yeah. But I mean, I mean, Chicago's got such a. It's there's such a yeah there's such a diverse music scene there. Like I mean, obviously everyone thinks Chicago and like they think the blues. I mean, obviously you know I mean that's where the blues are. But I mean. All the years that I, especially when we started playing Chicago, and Chicago was always a mainstay for us. We always played Chicago. Shit, we would go up there and play just a weekend of shows just in and around Chicago. Yeah. But like, and I would go and party and get drunk. With you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember here, here's one of them. We played a show at the U.S. Beer Company or something, right? And I remember was, that place uh, in the city? Yeah. Oh my god! And every it was, I don't know, Slider's birthday, and I think Tim's birthday was, or Adam's birthday. Like we're all celebrating birthday. We had a cake fight like on stage, and then we ended up, been, and then we ended up back at Johnny K's where you guys were recording. I think Redefine at the time, and we ended up oh three oh four. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If I, I rem- yeah, actually, I do remember because I actually lived in the studio. Made Johnny K's life hell, probably. <laughs> uh, but hey, he was getting paid. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, I remember living in the studio and sit bopping in, you know, around town, especially when I didn't have to play, you know. So 
I, re- I do remember us going like all to see Brandy Sin at that show. Because I, <laughs> I remember that corner where the bar was. Yeah. The company. That was a show that uh, Cheeto Feet hooked up for us, I think. I think Lloyd got us that show. Oh, pretty boy Lloyd. Pretty yep. boy Lloyd. But I mean, let's let's go back. Like what when you think of the Chicago music scene growing up there, like like what was like what was some of the first like local bands that like got you and like or bands that were from the area that might have gotten signed? Like what was like your introduction to I the can, Chicago I can music absolutely, scene? Absolutely I can absolutely single point it to one band and one person. What's that? Chicago thrash metal band called E Trope Z O E. T R O P E that ended up getting signed to combat. Um, Barry Stern was the drummer singer, which was diverse, but the band was pretty much Chicago's Metallica. Like when I first met them, uh, I was at a Judas Priest concert and I was really little. I was short, you know, I still am on five, four, right. But <laughs> I was like shorter than, you know, 1980, whatever, Ford, Judas Priest, Screaming for and me and my friends, we put together these, it was, out, it was it was an indoor venue that had no seats. So it was general admission gig. And we put together these garbage cans that we could sit up on so we could see above the crowd, right? On the main floor. <laughs> right. So we're standing there, I'm like in a Venom shirt or something. And this dude comes up with long hair, you know, glasses, motorhead shirt, you know, looks like a, a more dark version of Dee Snyder. He's like, what's up, kids? Cool Venom shirt. And then he's like, can I sit with you guys? I was like, yeah. And he's like, hey, man, this is my band, Etro. And he hands us all demos, cassettes of the Metal Log Volume 1. And I'll never forget going home and listening to that tape. It's just my mind was blown. I was like, can I swear on your show? Yeah, absolutely. I was like, holy fuck, this is good. (laughs) And me and my friends were all like, wow, we got to go see them, you know? So then... You know, he gave us a flyer for the show, and they were playing at a, a high school in Chicago, and it was called Gordon Tech, which ties in also weird things of picture band members of my very first band when I was a kid went to that school. So the school Gordon Tech had heavy metal weekend shows, That's and awesome. E-Trope was playing, and this other band I think that night was Trouble. No way. So I went to I went to the show. My dad drove me. But my friends had to sneak me in because you had to be a student of the school. Oh. <laughs> it's, so, not even, it's not so even like my, sneaking into a bar. You had to sneak into a school. <laughs> into a gymnasium in Chicago, yeah. So how into did you sneak gym. in? How, did you, how would you sneak in? Because you would have like a... a, 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 a you would have like a school bag. So what happened was <laughs> my friends that went to the school, they're like, hey, Barry's going to come out and bring you guys in and say that you're part of E-Trope's like, road crew or whatever, <laughs> you know? And so they brought us in and Barry's like, just sit up here and put us on the stage. So like the first Chicago heavy metal band I ever saw, right? Local. And it was E-Trope. And then from then on, he became my friend. It was cool also because he was Jewish and I was Jewish. I am you know, born in that right. way, right? But uh, I didn't really know any heavy metal Jewish Chicago metal dudes. So I was like, this guy is God, you know? Right. He was my, like, he was my gateway. Yeah, was your, like your, ment- yeah your, your mentor, everything. Yeah, that's absolutely. Awesome. Even though I, you know, I didn't play drums, but he was awesome. And I stayed in touch with him. He watched me as my career. And uh, man, he was awesome. Is he still? He's still alive. Still alive? No, he passed away. Oh, he did. Yeah, Barry Stern. He was the drummer, singer of Etrope, and then after the first two albums that were on Combat Records, he joined Trouble. No shit. And he was on the very first self-titled Rick Rubin album, just called Trouble. Yeah, I remember that. Amazing album. 
Oh, yeah. I'm trying to. Yeah, but yeah, Chicago, yeah. You know, like back to your question, man. Like Chicago had so many great bands. And obviously, you know, that was a, like for me, a, a gateway band was E Trope. But, you know, then there was Thrust, they're a really good local heavy metal band. And then obviously, I, I helped form and create Syndrome, which became a pretty cult band, like, you know, a huge influence on the uh, Entombed and uh, At the Gates guys with Syndrome as an influence. So, it was cool for me, you know, to grow up as a teenager and I really create death metal, thrash metal, hardcore Chicago metal scene, you know? Yeah, because I was, I was trying to name, I was trying to name all the bands and obviously I said, you know, I said Soil, I said Broken Hope, I said Dirge Within, mm-hmm. Bloodline, Repentance, and I'm like, I know there's yeah. other ones that were, you know, in even yeah, before syndrome. that, so Syndrome. Yeah, it was my first band ever and it's on Spotify, it's called Terminal Death. And it was like my first band in 1986, I think it was. We were just high school kids, you know. But we were, you know, really into like Possessed and Slayer. It's kind of like we were trying to, you know, emulate our heroes. But we put out a demo and it got popular. And then the band was just too young and stupid. And we broke up after putting out a demo and getting some fans. Did like a handful of local shows. But our big show was we opened up for DRI at the Metro on Dealing With It Tour. Oh no, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd have been cool. and we were high school kids. You know, we're like, I, I, I'll never forget, like just being like, your eyes like coming our dress room. They loved us, knew who we were, and and then like we drank all their beer. And they're like, they got off stage, like, where's all our beer? <laughs> <laughs> we were underage. We we're like, we drank it all. <laughs> we just was here. We thought it was our beer. You know, it's here. You know, yeah. they're gonna do what you're that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I but mean, yeah, I mean, it, for me, it's you know. I've played in some diverse bands, man, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm proud of everything I've done, but I'm really, really super proud of this new EP that's going to come out for yeah. I mean, that's you the know, thing. I, I mean, you've had, you've had a, you've had a long career and you've had success in different genres or across the genres. You know, you've been in a death yeah. metal band. You've been in like soil was more hard rock, rock and you know, like yeah. radio rock. And then, you know, dirge went in was, you know, a little more, they were still radio-ish, but very different. I mean, everything you've done it sounds very different to me, you know, and that that's cool. That's I mean, cool. that's that's what's. I mean, as a music, well, I mean, was, some some people can only play certain things, or they're only into certain stuff. But you like have all these shades of gray, you know, and and like out of everything you've done, it, the, your current project being the one that is your favorite, that is pretty cool. That's something yeah. we said after everything we've been through, you know. Yeah, I'm about to I'm about to drop Hiroshima with this new song. I really. I can't go into it too much, but the label's excited, the band's excited, and what let label? Have you, even, have you even announced the label? Can't yet? announce it yet. <laughs> soon, soon, it's all coming soon. Yeah, but I mean, um, what, what, I mean, what, what? I mean, in, in this day and age, what does a label? What What do you expect from a label? Because I mean, your expectations, digital marketing, for, right? You're, that's the biggest thing. Because back in the day, media. a label was like, man, they're the reason. Yeah. That's how they're going to get our records in the stores. But like. What's mad? Well, you got to look at store. you got to look at you got to look at all these digital outlets, Spotify and Apple Music. Like, you know, even if I just put my new single out online, I'm not going to get the reach and the love no. and the inner workings of those people, which are called playlists. And like yep. so now nowadays, a playlist is pretty much the equivalent of like when you went to Best Buy and saw Brand New Sin on the end cap, right? You're, or or on or, radio, or you're trying to go for radio. It's like now, radio. It's like yeah. now you like now it's about well, getting to a playlist. Built, yeah. My band is definitely not built for FM radio 2 p.m. right after they play ACDC. It's just right. not meant for it, you know? But kids that like my band aren't exactly 
our age listening to ACDC. So yeah, Spotify playlists are that and, you know, Apple music and Amazon and all this stuff that people are using platforms. That's really the reach now. And, you know, Hey man, you write a killer song and they start reacting. You will see the views and the streams pop, pop, pop. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation with people. I'm like, well, I want to get signed. I go, yeah, but do you, do you like, do you, what do you, what do you need the label to do? Because what a label does now, and even what a label did 15, 20 years ago is completely different and light years different than yeah. 30 years ago. I mean, they were bank, they bankrolled everything. Whereas now you just Absolutely. like, you can pretty much do it on your own. You pretty much would own, as long as you, and you own the masters, you're not going to be giving up publishing yeah. and signing a seven record deal. Those just don't exist anymore. You know, you just really yeah, need a company I, I that of, can market. You I was know? very, I was very lucky. You know, at the end of when Soil got signed to a real label, you know, after we did the Johnny K demo and Halo started popping, we were very fortunate to be at that time in the music industry when rock and major labels had money pre nine eleven and had the dream of breaking big bands and you know, like you said, Chicago and we had Pumpkins with huge alternative success. Yeah. And then we had Disturbed just bubbling, you know, and and then then the floodgates just opened here. I mean, at that time, man, in Chicago, the rock scene, especially because of active rock, was huge. Yeah, I mean, you had you had Disturbed, you had you guys, you had you had the Pumpkins. Obviously, they were paving the way, but you had other bands like. Am I am I correct in saying no one? No one was from there. Oh yeah, right, absolutely. And from zero, from zero. That's right, from zero. That was the other one. I was like, that was what's the yeah, other band? We were great friends with all those guys. I mean, like all those bands in that era hung out. I mean, I guess it was kind of equivalent to even like the L.A. butt rock scene. Maybe like I mean, we were all out hustling. We were all hanging at the same bars. We were all probably sleeping with the same girls. <laughs> right. You know. And you all got all and you all got major label deals. All 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 of those bands that yeah. you just named all had major Every label deals. And I'm still pretty good friends with most of those guys and some of those bands. But like, actually, sadly, no one they have two members that passed away since that band. That's so, right. Only, it wasn't yeah, wasn't that a like a boating accident or something? Yeah, the guitar. Yeah, yeah he passed away. And him and his girlfriend and a friend of theirs all passed away. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah. And then oh. the bass player, Mike Flaherty, who was also in a killer Chicago rock band called Loudmouth, he uh, he passed away of cancer a few years ago. He was a great dude, huge metal fan, huge Chicago supporter, sweetheart. But yeah, um, Flaherty was the flair. We called yeah, him. The- he was a great dude that was in the, he was in no one on the first album. Well, I think there's only one record, but then he left the band midway through their, you know, working of that record. They got a new guy that toured a lot with him too, but no one was a good band. I actually, for that genre in that era, I thought the debut album was awesome. Yeah, I, I really dug that album. I remember somebody gave me an advanced copy of that record. I'm like, wow, this band. And I was just like, wow, yeah, why didn't this band blow up? Yeah, Johnny K produced it. And I always told him, like, that was one of my favorite mixes he ever did. I'm like, I don't know what you did on that record. <laughs> but like, that's like my favorite so, Johnny so, K. So do you think, I mean, as important as you say all those bands are, I mean, Johnny K produced almost all of you guys at some point, whether it was their, yeah. the main one or Absolutely. he worked with it. He was the guy. Yeah, Johnny K had a lot to do. I don't think Halo would be what Halo is without Johnny K, whether it's my riffs or Ryan's voice or whatever on that song. But I think that, you know, uh, Johnny K helped put such a spin on it. You know, he saw He saw what needed to be done to make that song evolve. He produced it. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I mean, I mean, look what he did. I mean, he did. He had disturbed, and then eventually, I mean, dude, oh, Johnny, yeah. Johnny worked with everybody at some point. Yeah, Loudmouth too. He did their demo that got them signed, and then their demo actually. Most people that were fans of the band really thought the five song or whatever EP they put out themselves with Johnny K, Loudmouth. Everybody liked that better than the actual record. They went to some big producer in LA, and he just didn't capture the magic like they they, they had on their demo, but. Yeah, Johnny Johnny K was the hot guy. You know, I don't know what he's doing now. I'm sure he's busy working, but yeah, I remember. I think the last thing I saw Johnny working on is it was uh, Sanasonia, and he was working on that because my buddy Sal uh, is who's the drummer now in Stain. He was the one that ended up becoming the permanent drummer in Stain. He is also the drummer in Sanasonia. He's from Syracuse. Oh, he was he was. Um, Oh, Sal's from Syracuse. Yeah, Sal's from Syracuse, just 20 minutes away from me, man. And he was always playing on cover bands around here. And then he got the gig as a drum tech for, you know, Stained. And then, uh, you know. Yeah, I I think I met him because we did, Soil did a lot of uh, tours with Stained in U.S. and Europe around the True South area. Yeah, Sal's a great dude. Still plays in a couple cover bands around here, but now that, you know, he is in St. Asonia and Stained's about to get busy again. Yeah, Stained's ramping back up. So he's like, and then when he's home, he's like a studio, he has his little studio, but he also, he, he's a, he sells golf clubs. Like he's like a, a rep for like tailor-made golf clubs or something like that. That's cool. <laughs> what, nice, an out, what a, what a different outlet. Right. 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 He's just, it's, and it's such a great dude. I mean, him and I have always talked about playing. I mean, that dude just hits so hard. He's so, wow. he's so good. I bet, I bet everybody in Syracuse knows Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It would be hard pressed yeah. to find somebody in the scene, but especially in the music, in oh, local yeah. music scene. Yeah. yeah. So let's so let's go back 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 before you started working with Johnny K. You worked with a guy named Steve Albini, which everybody knows did. You know, you know he did. Never mind. Yeah, he did. How the he's a Chicago guy, correct? Yeah, he was in a really hip industrial band, a big black in the day. Soil story really is a weird one because it wasn't me at all. That picked four went for that relationship at all. I was completely against it, and I think the proof is in the pudding because I can honestly say I hate that record. <laughs> I, I mean, here's the thing I remember when I finally got that record, when I became a fan of you guys and we got to know each other and then I went back so you went and, backwards. I, and I went right. backwards and I grabbed this throttle junkies record. And the first thing that jumped out at me and it wasn't so much that the songs weren't good. I mean, I think the songs were good, but the, the production was just like, it was so like it, it, from hearing from, yeah, from hearing, you know, from hearing like your, your main record, you know, your freaking J records record. And then, and then hearing that I was like, wow. I'm like, Oh, wow! Like it, it, this band really progressed, changed, and yeah. grew up. Yeah, like big say, time. Right? Well, I mean, you guys all came from such. 
I mean, I don't know the story of where you guys all come, like collided, but you guys were all coming from yeah. different angles. So it was like, okay, well, yeah, yeah. you know, you yeah, know, well, well, Adam, Tim and Tom were in a death metal band called Oppressor. And then I was in Broken Hope as a bassist. And then we wanted to start a side project that was more rock. And I didn't want to play bass because I was writing so much on guitar. And Adam's like, dude, you, you just play guitar in this project. And Adam, was, you know, Tim was playing bass. And then we just started writing the four of us. And then we all came from death metal bands. But then we needed to find a singer. And we tried out some local guys and nobody just really fit. But when we started writing, yeah, we were really into, you know, down, Allison Chains, uh, this band from San Francisco called Levels that had a demo out that was very influential on us. And we were just, we went for it. Like, we were just like, all right, man, we are all burnt on death metal. We don't want to dress up like pandas and let's do other music. <laughs> pandas. You know? <laughs> you didn't want to dress up in pandas. So, like, but so your record, like, I mean, from what I remember is Halo was like, it was a demo. And then somebody in Orlando started spinning the record, correct? And then that yeah, was kind yeah. of how everything led to getting to J Records, which is was Clive yeah. Davis's. Somebody from Atlantic Records said, "Hey, I want to test this song in Florida." Basically, what the deal was, we have the first right of refusal. Atlantic Stevo that had you know signed Shine Down and other bands. Uh, he basically wanted to test the song in Orlando to see what happened, and he was friends with the program director in Orlando at WJRR, I think it is right. Yeah. And uh, basically, they had the first right of refusal unless somebody outbid them. So they they test the song, it starts bubbling and bubbling, and all of a sudden, all the other labels called, and our lawyer and manager said, hey, 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 you know, Atlantic definitely does have the first right, but you got to outbid them, basically. So, like, Say, you know, Atlantic said, hey, I'll, I'll give Soil 20 bucks, but all of a sudden, Clive Davis was like, hey, man, here's 500 bucks. Right. Well, it was up to Atlantic to say, all right, I'll give you 600 bucks, right? So that's kind of how the circus went. But uh, Atlantic couldn't keep up with the other office, basically, at the end of the day. And then we had to decide if we wanted to stay with Atlantic or go to other offers. And Clive Davis's check was the biggest. He won the war. He won the war. But in hindsight, <laughs> in, but in hindsight, do you think that was the best? I mean, regardless of how things played out, I mean, Prince, uh, well, I mean, hindsight, know, do you think a, a differently, you know, Atlantic might have been done no, better, you know? Well, I'll say this. Obviously, I'm not a mind reader or right. a future or, a, you know, or whatever the person I could do future. Um, but the label, I think, and I don't know, I can't speak for the other guys in the band, but I think I remember us all going, you know, and a couple of failures that Jay did with radio, some things that we weren't happy with during the scar cycle. I remember we're like, man, I bet Electra, cause Electra was really after us. We're like, man, I bet Electra radio guys could have killed it, which was the Capolinis. Right. And I think that if we would have had the Capolinis at radio, it could have probably done a lot more for soil than say the, the person that was not that great at rock radio at J records. But you know, you, you also got to put into the whole scheme of things. Like, did 9-11 really fuck Halo up? You know, it, it may have, you know. Did you guys' record come out on 9-11? Correct. It did. And that's crazy. Yeah, because the, if, we, were in the, we were in the era. <laughs> no, because I've had, it's really weird. The past few podcasts that I've had people on, it, and we're talking about the music industry, and we're talking about everything. It, there's all been a 9-11 story. Like I had 
the guy that was uh, at our record label at Now or Never Records, Mike Scandato, on last week. And he was talking about like we had just they now or never just moved into the office in Jersey City. He was like literally running late for his train. If he had caught the right train, he might have been at the World Trade Center because that was where his connection was to New York City or to New Jersey City. He would have been he might have been there. So he said that. And then a couple of weeks ago, like three or four podcasts ago, I had Lennon on. And Lennon and I were talking and she was on tour when and then her record came out the same day on Arista. And she oh, will, Lennon's album came out on nine eleven. Yeah, her her record, the one that she did, her major label yeah. one came out on nine eleven as well. So it's like it's really weird that all these people that I've had on here all have these nine eleven stories. My nine eleven story is that was nine eleven was the day I was supposed to try out for Brand New Sin. I was supposed to go to the practice room. That was my day for my tryout, and then that happened, and then I tried out six days where was, later. Where was, the, was it Syracuse? Yeah, I had just moved back. Try out. Yeah, I was living in Baltimore. And I went to Baltimore to go to recording school for a year and a half. And my, my first wife and I were down there and then we decided to move back home. And that's like, I heard that they were looking for a singer and I got my name in the hat. And they're huh. like, yeah, just come they home. Mean- and I met Slider and he gave me a tape. He's like, here, here's a tape of some demo. Like, that's how long ago this was. He gave me a tape with like this demos. And he's like, just sing whatever you want. Come up with stuff and then meet us. And, you know, when are you going to be home? I'm like, I'll be home. I literally, I moved home on the, on the 10th and then my wife and the rest of the stuff were coming home a week later. So I came home on the 10th to do the tryout on the 11th. And I remember waking up the next morning and now oh shit hit the fan and Slider's like, yeah, I don't think we should try. I don't think we can try out. Oh, so the audition was postponed. Yeah. It was postponed to the following Monday. I didn't finally went on the the 17th because I had to go back to Baltimore and grab the rest of my shit and move it back. So I couldn't do it. So, I mean, all of us have these weird nine 11 stories, but I mean, the whole industry changed at that point, you know, I mean, everything everything changed, but you know, I mean, I think, but at that time, I mean, Napster was already kind of happened anyways, but I mean, as I've had conversations with people, you know, I tell people, I go, Napster, those guys weren't out to like just crumble an entire industry. Their their intent was to give the industry like, hey, we're tech guys. This is where your this is where your industry is going to end up. And all the people in the industry are like, no, no, we're making hand over fist and printing CDs. Oh, yeah. $20 you know? CDs for so, dollar value. Yeah. So they're like, all right, well, fine. You know, this technology is going to get ahead of you. You know, I mean, is anyone... I mean, as as Josta says all the time in his podcast, he's like, Lars was right, man. Lars was right. You know, and all of us have to admit, Lars was right. He saw where it was going and tried to fight the good fight before it happened. And, you know, you wonder, you wonder yeah, if he, he got did, poster child, the bad guy. Right. And he got poster child, the bad guy. But now years later, we're like, man, the dude like was like he was champion for like everybody, not just Metallica. He truly cared. Uh-huh. You know, but like, I mean, you wonder if if the industry embraced that sooner, if things yeah, would be different you know, now, you know? I don't think, but, you know, I don't think they wanted to embrace it because there's a loss of income. Yeah. I don't think they wanted to accept where it was headed because without all the, you know, cogs in the machine with retail and physical and, you know, all those other things that they benefited, you know, granted the labels were spending a lot more money, but they also reaped in way more profit, you know, so yeah, but it's I mean, a lot different selling a 99 cent song now, or, you know, I don't even know our kids buying music off iTunes. Everyone's using no, streaming platforms. No, my, my, my good friend, he was here in Syracuse for a number of years and he was the program director here. <laughs> 
at the rock station. And then he left here. He got fired. And in, he, he is now the rock programming director for Apple Music. So like all those wow. playlists and all that shit, he's like, he's over there. He like, he landed that job a number of years ago on him. And I, I've been wanting to get him on my podcast, but like he literally has to go through all of these channels to get approved to come talk with anybody, you know, wow. but like him and I have some really great conversations because for the longest time, Spotify, I thought was like the premium service. But I mean, Apple music lately, man, I've started using their app. I'm using that more than I'm using Spotify. I think it's cool more user friendly but he was talking about it man he's like man it's just it's so different to see that and i'm like do people even buy you know what is a download is it 99 cents anymore i don't even know what it is is it 49 cents i don't buy it i mean to stream it and if yeah. i buy music nowadays i usually go to a band camp of the band and i will buy the download from directly from band camp from the band or i end up buying yeah, i don't i buy vinyl or, you know, something that they're putting yeah, out. I don't, yeah, I don't have a turntable. I have vinyl of all my releases that Syndrome and Broken Hope and stuff that came out on vinyl. I don't think the Soil stuff's on vinyl, which is a bummer. But uh, I think, you know, I don't have a turntable at home. I mean, I really don't. I can't get my car and put my vinyl on. It's not like the Flintstones. But uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I, uh, for me, this is it, man. I stream. I set it at high bit rate. Or I put CDs into my iTunes because I have a lot of CDs over the years of yeah. stuff. And um, I dump them in my iTunes and throw them in my phone. And then that way I have the 320-bit rate MP3 to listen to, yeah. especially when I want to listen to real mixes for reference. Um, but everything usually is hard cable to my phone, to my car, and I stream it. And also, I... I usually, you know, I usually buy CDs of albums I really want, like the Fair Factory or a Trivium or whatever. So I, I usually will buy it off Amazon and I'll order the physical CD and I'll probably be here in two days. And that's it. Yeah. I just don't have time or even know where to go to buy the CD. No, I don't either. I mean, I got, I go to a few record stores. Uh, but I, I buy vinyl cause I actually have a turntable. I listen to it often, you know, and, uh, um, but like, even when you go into the stores, like there's even the one store, our mom and pop place that we have here in Syracuse, it, you know, they'll have newer stuff. Um, but it's, they don't, they won't have a lot of copies. So if you want something like, you know, an underground artist, that's not like a big name artist, you got to ask them to order it, you know? So it's like, why, yeah. why am I going to ask yeah. you? They'll go, oh, we can order that for you. I'm like, so can I, <laughs> What do I need you for? Now I got to come back to the store. I'll just, I'll just do it on my phone and it'll be at my house. Now that we have these Amazon warehouses, these two huge Amazon warehouses right near my house now, we're getting like same day, next day delivery. So it's like, that's going to be here in no time. You know, and the cool thing is yeah. that when you buy the CDs most time, you get the digital download with it. Or when I buy the vinyl, you get the digital download. And if I don't even buy the, a CD or an album, I will buy a shirt or something like that. You know, so like... And I'll do that to the bands I really care about. You know, I'll give back to them somehow, some way. And knowing nowadays, I mean, here's the thing. You're putting out your newest record, but like you probably own the masters, right? You know, it's your deals with, with labels now are more or less like a licensing deal than giving yeah. up all this stuff. And then you just never going to recoup. Like your chances of recouping now are way better than they were back in the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Different world, man. Different world. So but, but, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, because you've worked with a bunch of younger bands. That's kind of one of your things mm-hmm. that you do on the side. You've, you've helped a lot of a yep. lot of bands over the years. And like, what kind of deals are there for like an up and coming band? Like, just like, I mean, what kind of a deal do you sign now? I mean, do they get any money to record? Do, you, do they get? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Arrival, yeah. Arrival, Arrival of Autumn, a baby band. I got signed to Nuclear Blast. Uh, their debut album, Harbinger, came out like almost two years. And yeah, it was, it was a good deal. There was money. There was budget for video. It was all realistic and doable. And the band had, you know, not a huge social media presence. But the demos that Jason Zukoff produced were killer. And, you know, Monty kind of really believed in the band. And, you know, we got them signed. I got them on tour in Flames and some other stuff before COVID hit. And then, boom! <laughs> now the band's starting a new album really soon. And we're going through the deal right now, obviously. Renegotiations, but things yeah. are a little smaller. Things are a little different. Yeah, I'm but, be, you know, I, I, you got to do what you got to do to make things happen. But, you know, nowadays, man, you got to look at technology, too. Like, you know, I, I have recorded the, the whole new Repentance basically in my friend's house, you know? Yeah, no, isn't it and, crazy? Like, it, you can, you can do it, almost yeah. all, anything you can do, like in someone's, like my last solo record, I did right here during COVID, and then I just shipped it off to yeah. my buddy via Dropbox on the other side of town, and he mixed and and edited and all that stuff, yeah. you know? I mean, but and even that, with... That, that, as long as, as long as, right, it all starts with a song, right, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Song. Need a song, you get man. the song, and the song's good, you get the tones, you get the performance, it's all about the performance and the song. Get good tones. Do some DIs on the guitar in case you don't know how to get guitar, good guitar tones, right? Yeah. And you send it off to a professional mixer master, let them do their job. And yeah. that's really where it's at because, you know, you got to have a good mixer. At the end of the day, yeah. you know, from Soil to Broken Hope, all the albums that I've been involved in, the Bloodline, like I always made sure that there was a professional mixer to do their job at the end of the, at the end of the rainbow because, you know, some of these people that just try to save a buck or do it themselves, you're gonna not. Yeah, I tell you know, people. Present, I tell people you're not gonna present yourself the way you envision with doing it. Most guys that with your own DIY mixer because. You know, you may save the money, but you're going to ruin the... No, if if anything nowadays you want to spend the money on is you want to make sure that that sounds good at the end of the day. Like, if you're going to cut corners, cut corners in the other places. Don't, like, hire somebody who can mix and somebody who can master it, like, and make that. Because when you're all listening... And nowadays, nowadays, most mixers master Yes. Yeah. You don't have to do two different things because you're like, oh, well, yeah. I got I to send it to, you know, a John Lord LG to mix it. And then we're going to send it to George right. Marino to freaking master it. And it takes a uh, weeks George and Marino's months. George, he did. I got to he mixed there. He mastered the uh, a brand new sin album. And I got to go in and sit there and watch that guy work. And I think it was about yeah. a year or two Me before too. he Me died. Too. And he was, yep. he, I believe he was sick at that time, but to like go in and watch that process happen and like sit in the office with him. And he's got every record that I've ever owned, like surrounding him, you know, he's like, yeah, I did that record and that record and that record. I'm just like, holy shit. You know, the, and, th- and those guys just don't exist anymore. I mean, literally they're dying off, you know I mean? Yeah, we're, I mean we're losing, we're losing. I mean, dude, we lost Joey Jordison yesterday, man. That is, yeah, oh, what a bummer. He was, a, he was a friend, definitely a friend. Uh, he put Bloodline on two sh- two shows. I can't remember if we did, and 
he was awesome. Like when he saw me, he was so happy. And he, uh, you know, he was like, dude, I'm sober. Let's stay together. He gave me his number. And, you know, it was awesome. I, you know, we hugged. He's like, dude, I'm going to try to come out there to watch you play tonight. But I think he missed the show. Like his old lady, I think. And I hope, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we all, you know, being at 46 years old and seeing all that, it's like you kind of hope that we kind of, I mean, I don't know anything and I don't want to assume anything, but you know, we can all assume that something went awry again. Yeah. 46 is a little young to drop out of nowhere. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we all know that he's he's had his moments. Yeah. He had his demons, man. There's no doubt about it. And you know, I didn't know anything about his personal life, health or whatever, but it just sucks when I look back because, and this is no diss to slip up, but Joey and Paul were a huge part of that band. would not be where they are right now without Joey and yeah. Paul. And, and having those two guys gone, it, it's sad, you know? Yeah. Hey, props to them for continuing and moving and evolving and be, making the band bigger every year, I'm sure. And they, they're pretty bulletproof at this point. But, yeah, they you are. know, there's no denying that Joey and Paul really made Slipknot a huge band. And without those two guys, they wouldn't be where I they don't are. think Slipknot no. would exist. Nope, absolutely not. As the more and yeah, more stories, we definitely hear, lost a we lost a, a big one, especially yeah. for a female. Because like, and the other thing about Joey is, you know, granted, I grew up playing Death Valley, you know, Broke Hope and stuff, but like, Suffocation, Morbid Angel, Cannibal Corpse, all those great Death Metal bands influenced him. And when he started putting blast beats in a mainstream band, yeah. playing arenas, like when they put out Iowa and just started blasting, that stuff influenced so many kids yeah. to do their homework, to learn extreme metal drumming. And he put it on the map more than the guys that were doing it prior. Right. I'm not saying he was, I'm not saying he was better or worse. Right. Yeah, but but you, Joey you, Jordison yeah, single-handedly you, put death metal drumming out to the map. Yeah. Because he, you know, you hear some of those slipknot signal singles that became huge and you're like, what makes them so, what made Slipknot sound so, I mean, there was a lot of things that made it different, but like that, that drumming, man, like, like you never heard that style of drumming on active rock radio ever. No, with crazy fills, like off time rolls. Right. And, and now that's all over the place. You hear it all the time now. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. all he because of Joey. Same with System of a Down though. Like that drummer was doing blast beats on real, you know, kind of commercial mainstream rock and like John Dowling and all, I think that's the name, right? Yeah, I, I, 
when I started hearing him doing blast beats on like mainstream songs, I'm like, holy cow, man, since you down here, blast beats. Like, like that, that, you know, 12 seconds of that song sounds like terrorizer to me, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, Joey definitely, man. We definitely, heavy metal lost a huge, huge drummer, man. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation. I had ran from uh, Wednesday 13 on a couple, oh, yeah. a couple podcasts ago, and our, our conversation, the entire podcast was just the death of, of, of the rock star. Like, we're just saying, like, the rock stars that we grew up idolizing are, one, starting to get very old, two, starting to die, and three, I don't think we'll ever see rock stars like that anymore. I, I think we're just past that era that, you know, they're, they're going to be these people that we thought were rock stars are going to be in 50 years looked at like these, like golden gods, like Greek gods, you know, like yeah, those, they, well, those days are gone. Not, yeah. And, and it, the biggest one and the most obvious is Eddie Van Halen. You know? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. He changed rock guitar playing from when people heard jump to his solo on beat it. Like Eddie reinvented. He took Hendrix and just twisted it and morphed it and just went up. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for him, there would be no, you know, Randy Rhodes and then, and it just snowballs from there, you know? Yeah, totally. Eddie, Randy, you know, and then obviously legends like Gary Moore, stuff like that. Yeah. There's, there's a Tom, but I mean, geez. Yeah. But I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I hope kids keep, you know, learning wrong. And that's one thing about Joey. Again, so many kids were influenced by him and got into drumming and playing extreme metal because of Joey. And it was also, man, his image helped. He looked cool as fuck. He had a great mask. He looked creepy. This little fucking skinny kid that would just get behind the kid and fucking pump. Dude, and and I don't think people cool. realize how, sh- I mean, you're short, but Joey's, Joey's fucking really he five, short. He was 5'3", and I was 5'4". Yeah. But I always say, no, hey, it's good looking down on <laughs> Right, like a lot of times in those photos, you, you look you look at a Joey's boots, and Joey's boots were like, you know, had six-inch lifts on them just to get them up to look, you know, with the rest of the guys. Because, I mean... Jim and those guys in the banner, they're Mick. big, Mick, yeah. they're big fucking yeah. cornhead, they're corn fed motherfuckers. You know, they're big dudes. Yeah. Definitely. You know, like, I, uh, I was trying to find some photos yesterday, me and Joey, and I can't find any, but hopefully I'll find something floating on the internet. But I know there's a couple of pictures like, I think me and him partied pretty hard one night in the UK after, I think it was before some soil show and Murder Dolls played some private show at some like trans bar, tranny bar. And Murder Dolls played as like a press thing for Kerrang and all them. And I went to the show with, I think, some of the BMG reps. Like Michelle, I think the publicist in the UK, I think I went with them, but I partied with Joey pretty hard that night. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, yeah, the stories are just going to be coming out, but, it, you know, it sucks. It, it seems like every week we're like, oh, shit, somebody else. Oh, shit, somebody else. And whether it's, you know, because of, unfortunate circumstances just because, you know, we're getting older and, you know, you know, things like cancer and heart disease and all. And the other thing is just like, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't party like that forever, man. You know, like that's fun in your twenties and thirties, but you can't carry on that lifestyle for that long. It's going to have limpication. I don't know. I don't know a band in their, you know, thirties or forties that can rage and think that they're being in Pantera right now. I I wouldn't want to be in a band like that. Well, I I tell people, man, I'm like, well, you know, we lost Dime, but I mean, at some point Dime would have had to like, 
I would have been facing something like that too because of the way he raged. You know, I mean, Vinny, Vinny died well, early. Vinny died yeah. early because he was. He, I mean, I don't know if he was still raging. He was unhealthy. Like he was. For sure. It was just unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, those 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 take years off your life drinking and eating and just drinking like that. You yeah. can't do that. I can't do that. I'm like, well, I, I, I have like three beers now, I, and I'm feeling, I'm hungover for two days. Yeah, I think that's why Zach went sober, right? And he has been. He had he had to, man. Yeah, I mean, he I don't got, think he would be on this. I don't think he'd be on this earth if Zach was nope, not. So. No, I think the last conversation I had when I went and saw Black Label couple summers ago, and they came to town, and I went and hung out. You know, I didn't really get. I didn't get to see Zach because Zach literally just like. I mean, but that's how Zach keeps himself in a safe spot, you know? Like, he comes mm-hmm. in, does a show, and then he gets the hell out. He doesn't hang. He doesn't hang anymore because he... Yeah, he escapes. He escapes, and I, I don't blame him. Everyone's like, well, he doesn't hang anymore. I'm like, dude, you understand what this guy's been doing since he was 17? Like, dude, he has to like he has to be careful, man. Like, you know, he can't slip up, you know? But, you know, big, you know, Phil is, you know, his, his right-hand man. Love Phil. And Phil was just like, man, it's just, you know, Zach, Zach would not be here if he didn't, if he'd be dead, he'd definitely be dead. If, if that health scare didn't happen, he he wouldn't have made it, you know, and he still had, he, I mean, Zach's got health issues, you know, that he has to be on top of. He's on blood thinners for the rest of his life. If he drank, he wow. would literally internally bleed to death, you know, cause he's got wow. a clot, he's got a clotting disorder. So Wow. But it's amazing that like some people have lived as long as they, I mean, dude, how how did Lemmy live as long as he did? Like, dude, the dude lived in. I think he was just pickled. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I think he told me one time when we were on tour, and it was like the second tour we did with them, and it was us in Coc and and Motorhead, and we were in like we were at the Webster Theater in New Hartford, right? Or in Hartford, right? And I was in the you know, the, where the dressing rooms were downstairs and I was downstairs and my friend come up from New York city and she's like, give me an acupuncture treatment. And the next thing I know, I just let me sitting next to me, looking at me with all these like pins in me and shit. Right? <laughs> and he's just sitting there smoking a cigarette. And he's like, what are you doing? Hey, you know, like, what are you doing? You know? So my friend, uh, was like started talking to him and she started, and here's the one, this is the one thing like a good acupuncturist will literally can take your pulse, like whether on your hand or anywhere and take your pulse and like, and see where you need to like get treated. They can see you cause your pulses will, if they're out of line, like your pulse in your neck is going to be different than the pulse in your arm and on your leg. And you want to try to all line them up. So she'll sit there and look at that and really good acupuncturists can see inside of your body by just reading the pulses. And I'm like, I go, do, do Lemmy's pulse. Like do the thing you do on me to find out how you treat me. And he's like, what? And he's like, she's explaining to him and she's taking his pulse and she, her eyes just are like opening wide. I'm like, what, what? And she goes to Lemmy. She goes, when's the last time you had a glass of water? And he's like, well, there's ice in my Jack and Coke. She's like, no, when's the last time you like literally drank a glass of water? And he was like, I don't know the early eighties. <laughs> like, not like drink a glass of water like Lemmy's only liquid intake was fucking Jack and Coke that's all he drank he didn't drink like a soda he didn't have a Gatorade he didn't have a glass of water he had fucking Jack and Coke from the minute he woke up or if he slept at all there was times that dude would be up for like four or five days so then he start drinking water <laughs> no he didn't like he's like there's ice in my drink I don't need water 
And then she said some other stuff. She's like, well, you got beat up. Did you get like, did you have, you know, kidney problems when you were 13? Did you break your ankle? He's like, I got jumped by these kids at that age. Like she could see all that stuff. But then Lemmy's like, I get out of here. You're freaking me out. Wow. <laughs> but he literally said he had not. And then for him to live that long, like, could you imagine making it into your seventies and not even drinking a glass of water for like 30 years, 40 years? <laughs> Pretty amazing. He lived. It's amazing, man. But like, all right, so let's talk about repentance, man. Like, I mean, you've had since soil, you had dirge within, you had bloodline, and then there was kind of dirge within for like a hot second again. And then now this, am I, is that the right lineage? Yeah. Good, good, good. Right. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, dirge within two albums, E1 and then, uh, rocket science ventures. Then the singer said he was done with metal. Went to a couple of lineups. Like bands do, and uh, then out of the act of that, started the Bloodline with a few members that were still left over from Dirge Within that didn't want to stop rocking with me, and we found Travis Neal. He was in Divine Energy on Dino's second album, uh, Bringer Bringer of Plagues, I think it's called. Bringer, yeah, I think. And then Travis lives in San Diego. That was kind of hard, but we did tour. We went out with El Nino. We did some shows with Vimic, Joey, and we did uh, tour with Fear Factory. We did a Really huge show in Chicago at House of Blues with Steel Panther that really helped the band dramatically get a fan base. Really, really. It was a really good show for us. And we really delivered the good. And uh, Century Media put out the record. We are one. We were really proud of it. And then the label merged with Sony. Yep. And everyone that was into the band and believed in the band was gone. Gone. <laughs> and then, you know, Travis was starting to feel that he couldn't in a serious band. He was having personal problems. And we're all on good terms, by the way. I talked to those guys. And uh, he was just done and didn't have it in him to fight to the next battle. And I said, fuck it. You know, tried to get dirt with him back. The singer was reaching out to me for his 15 minutes of fame. And we did a couple shows, rehearsed, and we remixed the song off the second album and put it out as a digital single. It was kind of like, hey, we're coming back. And it was a more commercial song called Memories. And we put it out, did, you know, two shows, and then everything fell back into place of him not wanting to come to rehearsal and be in a real band. And I was like, hey, man, you know, real bands jam. Real bands go to rehearsal. Real bands sit in a room and real bands practice. And that's what real bands do. Yeah. We don't just sit in front of computers and share files every week. So anyway, so that fell apart. And I put together a new thing. I started writing all these songs. They were heavy. And together this band called Repentance and I had some local views. Canada, and 
so you put out the record. You had another, you had another singer for a hot second, right? That dude was, yeah. Do we even want to mention his name? <laughs> no, probably not even give him his No, there's no need to. No need to. <laughs> but the dude's a nut. And, job. um. <laughs> But so how'd you find, how'd you find completely somebody, completely somebody that I would never want to ever be around. (laughs) So anyway, so how'd you find this, how'd you find this guy, the guy that you have singing now? How'd you find him? I can't announce his name, but he's been a friend of mine for a long time and he's been in some bands that put out a couple records and he's killer and he's exactly what I wanted for a singer from the get go. That's why I feel repentance now is being reborn in more ways than one right so many ways and the word reborn i cannot reiterate enough so uh put out an album god for a day and i had to change the lineup because a couple guys in the band didn't get along and then a couple guys are in like multiple cover bands and a couple guys i think one of them's a wrestler so I, I was just like, I can't get these guys to rehearse. And I just, you know, it was mainly two people I had to get away from in my life. And so now I have a whole new lineup of killer people that love to rehearse. We're finishing up in the studio right now. And uh, the first single is ready to go. First single is mixed and mastered. And, and the rest of the EP is being finished right now. And, uh, can't say this enough, but I'm really, really, really happy. So where really do you, where do you see? I mean, your vision for a band when you got Soil signed, and you and when you're signed with Soil, and where you're going with that, your vision then is completely different than what you your expectations are for this band. You know, I mean, things, yeah. things are different. You're I mean, married. You have expecting... kid, you're, you're a family guy. Like, what what what? Oh, I mean, yeah, what what, did, what what would you love? What would you love the most? Because, I mean, you don't want to be 300 dates a year, 200 dates a year, and just be away from your son. I couldn't no, imagine that, you know? But I want to like, wh- I I mean, do smart touring. I want to go out and do shows here and there. I want to tour here and there with the right bands that sit and, and grab audiences, have fun, make some money, right? Right. And, and get on stage and do what I love, playing music. Because that is what it's all about. Right, at the end of and, the you're, day. and you're probably being a, a big... Is that a target for you? Because, I mean, you can go to Europe. I mean, think of all the bands that we know that, like, just go over, do the festivals in the summer, do a couple of things, and then they come yeah. home. And that's that's what they do, you know, because metal still yeah. is alive well, over there. Well, that's one benefit of the label I'm signing with is they're very they're based in Europe and have a very strong uh, foot in the European metal Good. world. Because that, that's important. So that, that was one thing that I haven't had. In many years, so that was one of the things we, we had it in brand new. Metal is, we had it in brand new sim, but Century Media for some reason never wanted to send us to fucking Europe. Like, dude, you're out of Europe. Oh, like, this kind of music's not popular. Oh people. my god, man, dude! If I could, I tell people the tours that we had to fucking turn down because they weren't going to get behind the, yep. our, our first tour that we got offered to go over there with was Stone Sour and Saliva, and we were going to open up. Jeez. And we were on Now or Never, and Now or Never is like, dude, we got to get European distribution. We're like, who gives a fuck? Let's go over there, and we'll get distribution after playing these shows. Distribution? We're going to these shows, and we'll sell tons of CDs. Right. There's your distribution. There's, and then somebody will sign us because they'll see us yeah. blowing up on this the tour. Buzz, the UK so, hype. you know, yeah. we couldn't, so we had to turn that one down. And then oh. from there, and then we got, and then we had Davida as our manager, and Dan's like, well, dude, I'll just, every time Life of Agony goes to Europe, you're going to go. 
like just piggyback them because he's like, I, dude, their life agony. They go over to Europe. They don't even have to, at that point, they didn't even have to put out records. They just go over there and make money and come back, you know? And Absolutely. so we had a multiple times of that. Actually, the tour prior to the, the offer to go with Stone Sour and Saliva was Motorhead always did like November, December tour in the UK. They did it. They called the Christmas money tour. And we did the tour with that. And they wanted to take us over and we couldn't go over. And Motorhead wanted to take us another time. Life Agony wanted to take us another time. Like, oh, dude. And you know what? So Why many. did the record company not do their job? You signed the band. <laughs> the album's out. We're getting tour offers. Now it's your turn to be a record company right. and support the artists that you signed. Right. The, the label didn't have anything to do with the thing. We were just getting these offers. Right. Motorhead wanted to do it because they liked us. Lemmy was a fan. Motorhead. And 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 Stone Sour didn't make that happen. But Saliva's management at the time, I can't remember who was managing. They had a big manager at that time. Yeah, Nickelback. Yeah, they had, they had a, he had a lot of clout. So he dug us and the band pushed for us and they got us that because they were doing a because Stone Sour hadn't really broken over there yet. And there was just, they were still doing like Academy two or Manchester two. Yeah. They were still doing the smaller, smaller things, but man, I'm just like, that's the one thing. Like you talk about, like if you maybe went to Electra, I have no problem with the labels that we had. I think the, I mean, we were, our band just lived in this really weird wasteland and not a wasteland, but just in between thing. They didn't really know what to do. I think our band would have done better now <laughs> with the current sound. I mean, bands like Texas Hipp- hippie coalition and all those other bands got really big here and a bigger, that became more of a thing. But yeah. like we had to turn down, like if we didn't have to turn down these tours, like in even 2002, Tours like Motorhead and Stone Sour, your record company's <laughs> dropping the ball. It's not your base. Right. At that point, right. it's your record company not doing their job because they should have got behind the band and gave tour support and got you over on right. those tours. Just like fucking me. borrow the money yeah. from somebody, get 20 grand to just get us there. Who cares if we're getting paid? We'll sell merchandise, we'll make it happen. Yeah. You know? That's- that's it. And by, why did they sign your band? Right. And by the time we finally got to, to Europe, it was because of you guys. We finally, and we, you know, we could do the UK, like we finally got there. But by then, like, dude, our band was already starting to kind of implode at that point. You know what I'm saying? Like we had already, we we're on our third record. And then by then, which what, what like, album? That was what on Tequila. You, guys, you were on Tequila when we toured Europe? Yeah. So like, Europe, right? Not just UK. Right? Yeah, no, we just did the UK portion of it, and then you guys went into yeah. Europe. But we didn't, we couldn't, we couldn't do the rest of it. I can't remember why. But was Lennon on all of it, or just UK? No, I think Lennon was on the whole thing because I think Lennon was the only one that was on the own, own thing, and then Godhead and us. It was the, Godhead. Yeah, Godhead was on the UK portion of it as yeah. well. But I Glenn mean, was a good guy, the drummer. I like. Oh, that. Glenn was great. I saw Glenn. Glenn did not. Oh, it was, it's a lot longer ago than now, but he was in Hollywood and dead for a little while. He was the touring oh, wow. drummer. Ooh. And then he, got, he married some like porn star and there was this huge, like some huge porn star he married. And then it f- fucking like, it was some tabloid shit that went on with him. Wow. I didn't know it. Yeah. That like, look, look him up. Like he married like this massive porn star. You'll, you'll know her name. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he girl. still with her? Uh, no, no, like some shit happened. Oh, like it was a really bad divorce, but like he was like, he's still around because he reached out, he reached out to me. Yeah, he was, he was a good dude. And I actually still talk to Jason from time to time. And he's country now. Right? Yeah, he's his country. And he, he's, he's just, cool. he's got a great studio out and he does, his studio is a very busy studio. He does a lot. Where's he at? Uh, in LA. 
Hollywood. Cool. He's got a studio out there that does a lot of like, not just music, but like a lot of film and, and TV shit. You know, he's got in he, cool. he was a great what, guy. Yeah. yeah. He, he makes his living doing that. And he's, he's, yeah, he's got a big beard now and he sings country music and stuff. So cool. It's, Does he it, likes it and he's happy. Yeah, that man. He's fucking happy. I mean, I think the last time I spoke to him, my buddy Ray in there was in Wednesday Him, rain and I got super, super close over the years. And he's one of my best friends, but he was out and him and Wednesday did a, another bourbon crow record a couple of years ago because Here's here's a crazy story, and I tried to do this as well. He had somebody call him. Wednesday's old manager called Ray and said, hey, uh, do you want to buy the Masters of the Bourbon Crow shit? He goes, I just don't want them anymore. He goes, I'm just, I'm I'm kind of getting out of the music business, and this is what it's generating, and and uh, I'll sell I'll sell you the Masters for 3000 bucks." And he's like, all right, man, I'll, I'll buy them, and bought them, and then he ripped everything down from, from, uh, from all the streaming services and then put him back up under his name, you know, under, you know, all that and told Wednesday, cause I'm going to buy him. I'll do it. And this is just going to be your cut and all that. And then all of a sudden bourbon crow got this like resurgence and they did like a, wow. they did a, they did a, um, they were just trying to raise like $15,000 to like, he said, he, he goes, I'm just going to kickstart and try to recoup the money that I made or that I spent on the masters saying, Hey, we're going to do this and I'll, put out this, I'll press this again or something like that. And it was like a $5,000 Kickstarter. It turned into a $52,000 Kickstarter. <laughs> like awesome. the people went crazy. So then like all of a sudden rain and Wednesday made like bank by buying the masters back from the manager. And then that prompted me to try to start calling Century media because I called a couple of friends. I'm like, Hey man, if I need 30 grand, can you get it for me? They're like, yeah. Cause I was going to literally try to buy the masters, the brand new sin masters from Century media. And try to do the same thing. But then I didn't realize at that time Century Media was negotiating with Sony. And I, it, they're like, we can't do anything right now. We're in the middle of negotiations. Merger. And then they merged. And, and then all I'm the like, stuff got tied up. Too technical. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, good luck. And then I end up speaking with somebody. I'm like, do you think I could buy them now? And they're like, yeah, it's Sony. You're never going to get them to sell you your masters now. They don't give a fuck. I'm like, they don't even know it exists. They're like, they'd rather collect 350 bucks a month or whatever you're making off their stream yep. than sell Absolutely. you the masters. They don't care. Pay some employee salary. Exactly. That's what they're thinking. So I'm like, all right, it was, it was worth it. And, yeah. and it, but that's why everyone's like, well, that's why those bands go back and re-record their albums so they can own. Them. Yeah. I think triumph did that. They were re-recorded like yeah, all their hits. They did put it out and it's like awesome. But wow. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. bands, you do it right, and some bands don't do it. Right. Sometimes they re-record it, and you're just like, "Oh, dude, it's it's bad." Yeah, it's like, it's like I that? mean, a good example is like Halo. Like, I think after I left the band, they put out some live version, and I remember listening. I was like, "Why? <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you do that for? Like, like we we're all going to still collect our publishing money, but why did you do that? It wasn't going to. It wasn't going to accomplish yeah. anything." It's not like yeah. they were docking and needed to go back and like Skid Row did that, but like they, you're not Skid Row. It was freaking that. Yeah, so. there's the magic on the original recording. Leave it alone. But so, so when is we, we digress? But so when is repentance? Like when's the tentative release date or when you're going to announce it uh, soon? I, right? I mean, yeah, I think I think September uh, the first bomb shall drop from the plane. Cool. Video? <laughs> so are you going to do a video? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, got to talk to the label about it. I just want people to hear the song and and start doing shows right away. And I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, good thing the shows are coming back. I'm really, I'm very, I'm very proud of this because 
after the last lineup, uh, those guys left. I didn't fire them. They all left on their own terms. Right. Um, uh, I just started writing, and that's where I was. I was like, hey, I can't get you guys to commit to rehearse. I have a new label that wants to sign the band, and I'm signing a contract, and if you guys want to meet up and see this and do this, cool. And that wasn't the case. And I said, okay, that's the world. I'm going to start writing. Talked to a good friend of mine, Alex, who used to be in Lazarus AD, and yeah. he lives near me. And I said, hey, man, this is where I'm at. I have all these riffs and rough songs. I need to start recording them. Come to my place. I got a home studio, and I'm dying to work with someone that has a clue what they're doing. So he was really good at engineering. He knew metal because he was in Lazarus. Right. And, you know, we just started going through my riffs and mapping them out. And, you know, he'd do like a rough program of drums for him to get things going. And so all of a sudden we're at like seven songs and we're looking at each other going, wow. And he's like, dude, you need a singer. You need this. You need a drummer. Basically. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I just started putting together lineups and then I'd be rehearsing with the band and then going back to his place and finishing demoing. And then all of a sudden I was like showing these guys the new lineup, the new songs. And they're like, okay. I'm like, and then learn these old repentance songs. Cause I'm going to keep a couple old songs for gigs, you know, cause I wrote right. 90% of the music on the first record. Right. So I was like, let's do this. And, and now here I am with a new band and a whole new recording. And it sounds like part of what makes it, so satisfying for you is that you have like, and, and this isn't an ego thing, but like this, you have really a lot of control over this, you know, and this is more yeah. of your baby than it is like, a, and yeah, you have a band, but yeah. this is really spawned out of what you wanted to do, you know? Yeah. And you know, and, and I've told every member like, Hey man, if you don't like my music or don't like me as a person or don't like the style of music that this is, don't jump in, man. Don't be around. Don't, don't say you're into it because this is how it is. And I learned from the past that many times now that I want people that want to be involved in it. But yeah, I guess at the end of the day, it's somewhat my vision, right? Yeah. But I don't want to sound like, you know, that I'm Trent Reznor and <laughs> no, blah, blah, blah. No, no. But, but I will say, and it is, you know, it's not sound like some narcissist asshole, but Hey man, I have been doing this for a while and I have sold some albums <laughs> and I have made a couple songs that people know. Right. right, right. You've had some success. I think I kind of know what I'm doing at this point, you know, yeah. but we also and, and, know. And that doesn't, Go ahead. And, and that's kind of what, you know, I feel, but I love having a band. I love going to rehearsal. I love being with the guys. I love, you know, <sighs> you know, being in the locker room and talking shit. Right. Yeah. That's part of being in a band yeah. and being around each other and not just sharing files and not just, you know, and, and that's kind of what it is. And when we get on stage with this new lineup, I know that, you know, the blood will flow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I, mean, I think we'll, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't want to sound cocky, but yeah, it is my vision. And that what it, it always was when I started repentance, because, you know, it was my music basically for the majority of the debut album, but I wanted to continue on, but there was people that were poisonous and, and that weren't true people that weren't, uh, on the same team as me. Yeah. After all these years, what I've realized and after seeing how a lot of these successful bands that have had longevity, like how, what makes them, you know, prosperous in the long run or what makes them be able to be a band for as long, you know, let's exclude like, you know, ZZ top, you know, that's never had a lineup change in forever. It's just like, that's a different time. But like the bands that right. come along, you have to run the band. Like Metallica is really, it's Lars and James, 
You know, that's they're they have Metallica. You know, Kirk 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 is a higher Kirk is a fucking highly paid employee. Robert is a highly paid paid employee. The guys in Slipknot, we all we've had this conversation off the record. There's a couple of guys in the band that they are the band, everyone else's employees, you know, and like as I've gotten older, I realized like, man, you have that thing. Yeah. We're all in this together and we're all going to make decisions together. And we're all the songwriters and we're all the thing. Like all five of us are doing this offense. It's like, no, it's that, that is very rare that you can get four guys, five guys to always be on the same page or always have the right, correct vision. Yeah. You really need to have it. One person or two people that are really the guys that run the band and everyone else has their specialized thing. It's like any business, like not everybody's going to be a cook. Someone's got to be out in front fucking serving the food or someone's got to be mopping the floors. You know, I'm not an accountant. I'm not going to say, Hey guys, I just did a tour budget. I wouldn't, I would say, Hey guys, I'm going to need some help with this or let's hire an accountant to do this or whatever, you know, hypothetically speaking. But yeah, you know, like at the end of the day, I always joke that, hey, man, I wish I was like Matt Hazy or Flynn or Hetfield and played guitar and sing. But after I left Soil, maybe I should have done that when I formed Dirge. But I met Germs and I thought he was awesome and could work with him and produce and evolve and help him grow. And that's what we did with Dirge within, mm-hmm. right, with Germs. But my new singer, he's, he's a friend. He's been in metal bands in the area and he's pro, he's toured. And we get along, we talk, we text every day. Whereas like, when I would get a text from some ex member, it would always be awkward or out of nowhere. And it was a weird question or, <laughs> right. Hey, I can't do shows for six months because I'm going to be a wrestler. Like, fuck you, man. Why did you fucking sign up for this thing? Right. Who the fuck are you to waste my time and my fucking right, life? Dude. You piece of shit. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, we've, we've talked about brand new sin trying to do stuff, but we also all know, like we've tried and it's just like, man, all of us got a million, we've got a million things going Biggest thing is me. I'm like my business alone as just Joe really doesn't leave me enough time to be able to do something that would be worth everybody else's time because I'm just like, fuck, I'm not, I can't commit to what you guys, I, 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 this is my business and it's a very successful business and I'm the only one running my business. I don't have many people that work you know, I got an accountant. Yeah. I got you, don't have, so. you, don't, you can't argue with yourself when you want to do a show. No, so, yeah, exactly. So, but hey, we all, we all five know that. guys, are you all ready to play next week in Wichita? Right. Oh, right. man, the drummer can't do it. Right. You know? Right. So, but I mean, we all know where we're at. Like, I mean, the coolest thing about everybody in the band is like that doing the reunion show two years ago was like, like we just really all fell in love with being friends again. And that's, and that's really what we're we're happy about, you know, and everybody's doing their own thing. Kenny's got like two projects that he's recording right now. And, and Chris, yeah, he messaged me this morning. Yeah. (laughs) It's a whole other story. We can talk about it. Yeah. We can, we can, we can talk about it off, off, off thing. But like, you know, Chris started a band, uh, you know, cause after I left brand new sin really became Chris's band. It, be, it, it was Chris's right, right. solo project. And th- that's why it sounded so different. And Chris finally admitted, it's like, dude, I couldn't do it anymore. Cause it didn't sound like brand new sin. Sound like me. So he started. I never, in, in, in no, disrespect, no disrespect to them. Cause they're all good dudes. I toured with them and I loved every one of them touring with them. I can't listen to brand new sin without Joe. No, no way. And, and that's, and that's not me just trying to blow you. Cause I'm on the phone with you right now. No, it's like, even, there's a sound that I know from that band and that's what I'm used to. I wanted, I want co classic. I don't yeah, want and, fucking Coke. And that's what we did. Even when we yeah. did the reunion show, Chris came to me yeah. when we were like, all right, what are we going to do for songs? And Chris is like, would you, would you be opposed to doing songs 
that I wrote for you, but I ended up singing them myself because I think they, they were written for you. They would have sounded better with you. And so right. we, we did some of the brand new sin songs that, and they just had that pop. Chris was like, man, that's what I envisioned. Cool. So Chris has his yeah. own band now called Chris Wakeman and the Paul bears and slider cool. just joined that band. So they're doing oh, so that thing. Brand new yeah. So they're, they're, they're doing their thing. And then we have all discussed and we haven't officially announced it. And I've talked about it loosely, but we're doing a couple of shows. We're going to do back to back nights next year because next year will be the 20th anniversary of the first record. So we're like, all right, cool. let's get together and do that. Like, I mean, if it ends up happening for us, I mean, I would love to be in a band again, but like right now I just, you know, there's just, it leaves no time. Like I had an option. This guy, I can't remember his last name. His name is Pete. And he played on a Joey Belladonna record, solo record that like wasn't well received, but Pete's like playing in a bunch of metal bands in and around Europe. And he reached out to me like a year ago and wanted me to start a project with him. And he was sending me files and he had gotten some other cats from Europe and he got the original bass player from uh five figure death punch. I think his name is Matt, right? Matt Snell. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to do something, but then all of a sudden I started blowing up on like Twitch and I just told him like, dude, I can't, because he's like, I can get this. I can get a, get a sign. We'll play festivals in Europe. And, and, and I'm just like, I don't even have time for a band. I can't, I don't even have to go to rehearsal for, you know, like we were just file sharing and I'm just like, I don't even have time for this man, as much as I want to do it. But I mean, at some point I want to, wow. I want to do a band again at some point. I do. It just, it does not in the cards at the moment, you know? And if it is, I would, I would really like it to be brand new sin, you know? Absolutely. Because why we had, a, it's hard to, Hey man, let me tell you, it's hard to start over with a new brand. It is, you know, and I didn't ever plan on it. And, you know, I could technically call this new band, you know, dirge within if I wanted to, but you know, I started repentance, you know, whatever, two, three years ago, put out a record, got some great streams online, built up an audience and COVID came and then everything got paused and, you know, went to a lineup now. But, I still feel what I'm writing is true to form and sounds like repentance, right. but it's just evolved massively. Right. And I'm with much more uh, dedicated musicians. But you, you, you don't feel, I mean, I mean, obviously you don't, but I mean, even in the back of your mind, do you feel like, holy shit, man? Like, you know, I'm way older now than I was back then, you know, and for me to like rebrand myself at this age, man, it's, it's, it, yeah. that's a scary thing to do after everything you've, you've done, you know, yeah. that's why some guys just always just fall back into playing with some band that they, they yeah. really don't want to be in well, because just, that was the way that's yeah. how they make it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've had offers from other bands to join and play guitar and you know, I'm not going to name any names, but it was, just wasn't my music. It wasn't my music. Right. And it's also, I like I like what I write because it's really what I'm into, you know. So I guess for me to like jump into some other rock band after Soil just would have felt weird, or it just probably wasn't up to my expectations of where I see myself as a musician, you know. And right, or you might you know, not no disrespect have... to whatever bands have offered right. me to jam with them or try out, but this isn't my thing, you know. And I, for me, you know, Bloodline was a little more mainstream, and you know. I felt that Poisonous and Divided were really good active rock songs that should have taken off on that record. But, you know, we got screwed by a label that didn't believe and didn't put the money into the project. But, you know, I tried. And then, you know, I was like, you know what? Where radio's headed and the whole game of how much it costs to work a song, I just, I can't, I can't play that game, man. It's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I work at a radio. It's all money. It's all money. It's all money. It's all money. But it really comes down to like, Back in the day, there was very few, like a main rock 
station, active rock station only had about two, three open slots a week, maybe to add a song, you know, it was very slim back then. And now it's like nobody's program. I mean, this radio station that I work for here in Syracuse, there's no program director there. That's programmed by, even though they're independently owned radio station, they're still not programmed by someone within the station. They're programmed outside of the station. So that's why, like, you listen to the active rock station and it, you, you hear a lot of the same stuff, you know, because, you know, that's what people that are listening to radio want to hear. So it's really tough to break a new band on there. And here's the other thing. And I said this to Lennon, you'll get a band that gets starts getting a ton of spins around here. And that would always equate like, hey, we're going to do a club show and the, the band comes in here and they freaking sell out the club show. And now it's like, even if they're getting a ton of radio airplay, 100 people show up. It's like, wow, if that doesn't tell you who's listening to radio, it, I mean, it's you're better off breaking somebody on a play. If you can get someone to get on a playlist and then the right playlist, that's going to do way more for you than trying to break one because that can break you worldwide literally overnight. Whereas like, okay, we just broke in, you know, Sioux city, Iowa, we're getting spins there. All right, cool. Now we got to get the Sioux city, Iowa to play one show Whereas a playlist could freaking open you up to the entire world in one shot. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. We were very lucky. The, the first song that the label really liked was the title track on the first repentance, God for a day. And that song got on like two Spotify playlists. And that's why that song is like, almost at 40,000 streams on Spotify That's huge. because that track got the right, you know, audience and reach and got out there versus the other tracks on the record. But I always thought that God for a day was standout track on the album. And that's probably why we call the album that. And I think that song definitely when it got reached and played because of those playlists, obviously some people keep liking it. <laughs> yeah. Craziness. Crazy. All right, but yeah. New, new, new repentance is coming. Uh, I'm stoked. I've got a great bunch of guys with me. We all Good. get along. We all talk. We all rehearse. We all jam. And that's what a band's about. And it felt good for me. It's perfect timing to reinvent and reborn and repent and, and kill and write great metal. And I'm, I'm stoked to be where I'm, I'm at. I'm stoked to hear it. And when, and when I, when I put this all, you will hear it. Really yeah, I'm sure. So, I mean, and we'll have, we'll have, my producer always throws, throws in all this little things and stuff like that. So there'll be probably some, some old repentance in there and stuff like that. You could like throw that. a halo scream in there. He yeah. probably, probably could. Yeah. He'll, he'll probably do something, but I'm stoked, man. I hope, I'm I, like, you know, it, it sucks for me because I never have had that closure with my old band. Like we've never had that. No. And it sucks when I see guys like Joey Dime, like, you know, one of us, the original five soil that made that band, like one of us, God forbid, could go. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I always, I always hope that at some point it does, man. I never say never about anything because I mean, shit, Guns N' Roses got back together, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they were a little, they were a little bigger. <laughs> well, true, true, exactly. When somebody's coming to you, like, hey, we're going to give you each thirty million dollars up front. All right, yeah, I think we like each other again. <laughs> That's a yeah. different, different story. Money man. talks. Money definitely talks. But, you know, man, I'll let you get back to being a dad. I got to go out and check on my daughter. I think she's probably just playing on her iPad and playing Roblox, you know. Uh, Minecraft Roblox. That's all she does, man. She loves it. She loves it. Boy, Zay. Oh, hey, man. Thanks for having me on your show, brother. You're welcome, brother. I'll talk soon, all right? All right, homie. Metal all right. up your ass. <laughs> Later. <laughs>
Yeah, you guys can see why I love talking to Sean. I mean, Sean is just, he's real, man. I mean, he's been in this business a long time. I mean, he's dating himself back to 1984, going to see Judas Priest and then being in a band in the mid 80s. So, I mean, you're talking 40 years of of business you know i mean he's been there and done that and in in the metal and rock world and like i said he knows everybody and and sean sean and i have the most interesting conversations sometimes like off the record and i would never bring that up during our podcast you know i mean when you talk as friends you talk about other things you know so um but he i mean he did everything he could to help brand new sin out and i always am grateful for his friendship for that because he was a fan of the band and you know it was things like that and he helped us along the way and i mean he just he loves fucking he loves music he loves music that's why he works with all these younger bands he just truly loves music he's not out to like shyster somebody out of out of their work or no he just he wants the world to hear really good music and really most of the time like really heavy music so Go down the rabbit hole and, and, you know, if you're listening to this on Spotify, go over to my socials and you'll be able to find the links to repentance and you can go back down the rabbit hole and listen to Broken Hope. You can listen to Soil, which is unbelievably good. Their two records, uh, Scars and Redefine, are just, uh, they should have been gigantic, should have been gigantic records, uh, you know, for, for what a reason they didn't. It's the business, but uh, it's always good to have Sean on. Uh and as you know, he's just, he's, he's full of, he's full of it, man. He's full of knowledge, man. He's full of like energy. You know, I mean, I won't divulge Sean's age, but I mean, for him to still want to be just like plugging away and doing what he does at the, his age and not be jaded at the business. Most people by this time are just completely like, fuck the business. And they're jaded. They, they have a shitty attitude towards it and, and they, and he doesn't, he still has the same fire under his ass that he did when he went to that Judas pre-show and he met that fucking drummer from Z-Trope. Like, that is fucking awesome, man. That is fucking awesome. So, Sean, thank you for coming on. Next week, I don't... I think I got something really special lined up for next week. I'm hoping that it all works out the way it is. Uh, it's a it's a current uh, person that was just on American Idol. Uh, so, we're going to go in a completely different uh, uh, direction and this person has a hell of a story. So I'm hoping that this lines up. I got to do some emails and all that stuff. And again, I'm really digging. If you guys are liking this, man, share it. Tell everyone about it. I'm still looking for some sponsors. And I'm going to be doing the Rockin' Podcast, which is going to be everything mental health and physical and in that realm that hopefully this fall man i was hoping by september but at this point we're almost at august and i just i'm just haven't gotten there yet but it will happen but in the meantime this podcast is going to keep happening so i really appreciate anybody who takes their time to listen to me i love you all be safe and see you on the flip side yeah!